Hi, I'm Cornell. I'm Glenroy. And I'm Kareem. And welcome to the Fish Tea Podcast, where three hair whipping, heel strutting Jamaican queens talk about LGBTQ politics, pop culture, growing up in the Caribbean, life in the diaspora, and the work it takes to sustain love, life, and laughter in the midst of all the white noise. We're giving you everything, honey. Get into this mug. We're serving you a hot cup of fish tea. Bottom up. <laughs> That's the stuff. Yes, you did it. (laughs) (laughs) No, that part. Oh gosh, how have you all been? What have you all been up to? This is a new episode. I ain't seen y'all or heard from y'all in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, no. Uh, I well, I've been traveling for a bit, which has been amazing and wonderful. Yeah, I panigal them flights, not feelings. Oh, I like that. Take that one. No, I was in Europe for about uh, two weeks. It was great. It's really beautiful there. Um, food's good. Architecture is great. And it was nice to have a break from from teaching. It's funny, though. I, I was saying to a friend of mine a few months ago that I find colonial architecture really seductive for some reason. And so now I feel conflicted. But, I mean, whatever. So, Ushmata, Europe, did go? Hmm. So we were in, so, I mean, on paper, we were in Bar- Barcelona for two days, but really we were only got to like spend a day there really. And then we went to Zurich in Switzerland, which was actually quite interesting and actually turned out to be one of the best, if well, probably the best part of the trip actually, because so our expectations were relatively low for Switzerland because we were like, it's just going to be like super chill you know, relatively boring, nothing's going to happen there, like whatever. But I think in terms of their economy or, you know, their government or social structure or whatever, it sounds like they have their shit together. So first of all, all of the the buses and the trains show up on time and leave when they're supposed to. We did not, and I mean, this might be because we were in tourist areas, who the hell knows, but there wasn't any sign of, like visible signs anyway, of poverty. And there wasn't any uh, glaring signs of like class disparity necessarily either. But the best part of it is the culture there is kind of like people do their nine to five or whatever, and then everything shuts down. And then it's all about people spending their time recreationally, whether or not that's like going out for drinks or to a restaurant or playing a sport. But the aren't has invested in this like over time, trying to make hella money, um, trying to get that, that paper kind of lifestyle, which I think is very refreshing. We spent a day in this town, this like mountain town thing called Interlaken, which is like in the area of the Swiss Alps. I saw the fucking Swiss Alps. Can you believe it? Yes. Uh, yeah, I know. We were supposed to go skydiving. The weather didn't allow us to do that, but um, it's it's an it's like yeah, it's amazing. It's, it looks like one of those um, towns that you see in Christmas movies on Netflix or on the W network, but maybe, I don't know, I'm guessing Jamaica doesn't get the W network, whatever, but it's like one of those like hillside or mountainside towns where it looks like nothing bad ever happens, where some relative of a, like a distant relative of a royal probably lives for all we know. Um, but no, that was really good. And then we went to Venice, which was as romantic as I, as I expected it to be. But then that got old really fast because there's just like water everywhere and everything is done by um, steps and staircases. Elevators are not a thing apparently in Venice, um, which was uh, quite the process for people who are 
traveling with checked luggage. But I mean, that's another story. And then we ended in Rome. So I got to see the Colosseum and the Trevi Fountain and I got to make a wish, which I hope comes true. Of what you wished for. You have to at least give us an idea of what you wished for. Moano. Well, let's just say I wished for an update or a, or a happy ending to things. I'm going to leave it there. Um, but what have y'all been up to? Oh, God. Um, I have been adulting, and adulting has been taking its toll on me um, in a sense that I felt very overwhelmed the other day. Um, but yeah, so adulting hit me hard um, last week to the, I mean, to the point of like actual tears. And I was sharing with Cornell that, you know, a lot of things were just, a lot of my responsibilities and roles that I play um, in life were just coming and they were hitting me hard. And so I had a little moment, but I'm back. Um, I won't say I have like any aha moments or clarity from that, but it did feel better to at least just do that purging or that cleansing so that I can, you know, adjust and move forward. But for the most part, I've been I've been functioning. I've been doing what I need to do. I just finished another conference circuit. And, you know, I went, I served, I gave them life. I did what I was supposed to do. I got new contacts. And your girl is ready to, um, you know, press on. How about you, Miss Glenroy? Yeah, girl. No, I forget I'm going to your conference run. Yeah, girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go show up. Oh, um, I'm, I mean, I'm whatever you're going through, or I mean, however, I just wish you the best with that. And you a bad bitch, so I know you work through it. Um, so um, all the best and stay fabulous. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, as for me, <laughs> um, so I mean, I've been having a little bit of fun. You know, I did that. I guess you can consider that my first time in drag <laughs> when I dressed up as a witch for a Halloween party, and I had a lots of fun. With that, I mean, just been trying to handle my stuff with with work and with the classes that I tutor. I did my last class today, but last of Santa class, we're gonna do a wrap up class in a couple of weeks. I'm just kind of managing all the different things for work. Um, and I guess the other bits of kind of dealing with um life and things not always going the way you want to. I guess that will come up um in today's topic and stuff. But you know. It's been good. I've been productive as hell. I've been taking my notepad. Well, I have a new notebook and I'm taking it very seriously because I'm not always a note taker, but may I get all answers so everything can stay in my head. So um, <laughs> my daily to-do lists and kind of just also keeping track. Um, and that's working out for me. So I'm a full good answer. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, cheers to productivity and... Getting your shit together. <laughs> right. Cheers. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into today's episode. So the title that we're going to be working with today is How Black Boys Say I Love You. Uh, the main thing that we want to talk about is this idea of love languages. Um, so this, um, what's his name again? So uh, there's an author uh, by the name of, Gary Chapman, I believe. Let me just verify this. 
um, Gary Chapman. Yes. So he wrote a book a few years ago called The Five Love Languages. Um, so for those who aren't familiar, the five language, the five love languages are physical touch, words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and receiving gifts. And the idea is that, um, you know, we perform or showcase love and affection through one of these categories. And in order to develop, you know, um, happy, uh, well-developed relationships with our partners and friends and family members, uh, we need to be attentive to the ways that these people in our lives prefer to receive love and um, vice versa. The other thing that we wanted to talk about was how do Jamaican people showcase love inter like culturally um, speaking? And so I was thinking about, so there's this play that was written by a playwright by the name of uh, Trey Anthony. Um, she's Canadian. She's a really famous um, playwright uh, here in Canada. And uh, to my knowledge, uh, she, like her parents are, are Jamaican. So there is a connection there. And so, and, and one of the things that comes up in the play is, you know, the, the it's, it, it, it's about um, a mother and her daughters and her daughters are, I guess, seeking out a particular kind of verbal affirmation from her. And, you know, the mother is kind of resistant. It's kind of like, oh, well, I don't need to say I love you because, you know, I'm doing all of these other kinds of things for you. And so I wanted to, us to think about, well, what are the ways that love was communicated in our households in ways that might not, not always be, be um, verbal and what... I mean, even in the situations where verbal affirmation was a thing, like what did that mean to you? Um, or even, you know, physical affection and so on. And then the other thing that we, you know, I wanted us to talk about was for us to think about, you know, queer men's uh, emotional intelligence around navigating affection and love, because I find we have a lot of like, you know, I don't know, poor, not that great kind of habits um, that we've cultivated, um, generally speaking. And is there a way for us to kind of like, I guess, uh, I don't know, tease out, parse out, uh, maybe where some of that uh, dysfunctional behavior comes from around this question of love and affection and how we express it or don't express it or like whatever the case is. So yes, that's hella a mouthful. Um, so I guess we could maybe start with what love looks like, felt like within our household or kind of like our home life before we go to that uh, yeah. <laughs> i wanted to us to um to just say what our love languages were because we all took this quiz the quiz that you sent us um <laughs> languages profile even though i don't know if that's quiz 100 percent in a book um we'll we can share the link in the description so people can see where we got it from but mm. they told me that my top love languages, even though so the score, the highest score is twelve to show what your primary love language is, um, is but like all of mine, the scores for all of mine are like really close. So I got like quality time was my top love language, which I didn't expect, and then tied is acts of service, receiving gifts, and words of affirmation, and the last one is physical touch. And I thought I was a words of affirmation girl, so I don't know what this quiz I tried to tell me, but maybe connected to. <laughs> I don't know. But what did you guys get? Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, so I got nine for, and you said it's out of 12. Is that what you said? Yeah, they said the highest score is 12. So, so that determines okay. which one is your primary love language. Right. Okay, so I did this test um, at least two years ago, probably. And this entire time I've been telling people that I tied for physical touch and quality time when it turns out that isn't the case. So I just checked and I got nine for physical touch, nine for words of affirmation, eight for quality time, four for acts of service, and zero for receiving gifts. The caveat that I would you know, give though is that I don't know how applicable words of affirmation are in my case because I am always suspicious of people and compliments and I don't trust them when they say things. So yeah, but I mean, I guess I do, yeah, verbal affirmation is a thing, I guess. But Kareem, how about you? Um, I think for me, I had uh, words of affirmation, eight, and then I tied for physical touch, quality time, receiving gifts, um, all I got six for, for those. And my final one was acts of service. The, um, and I could somewhat see it, especially for the acts of service being last, because I think I pride myself on being very independent and being able to accomplish things for my, like on, on my own. Um, and rarely do I reach out for, for help. Um, and I guess that kind of ties into, like, if I'm reflecting on my little episode last week, that kind of ties into me feeling overwhelmed because I haven't learned the art of delegating or allowing people to step in to help me when I really need it the most. So I can kind of see that. Um, the words of affirmation, definitely. The um, And the rest of them tying, I think I'm seeing that more now than ever. Um, I wasn't necessarily the, the, a physical touch type of girl growing up. Um, and I, th- I think I allude to that in previous episodes where I talk about the whole like growing up in Jamaica and what that looks like um, and not being able to be physical or intimate with your partner in public spaces. Now, because I can do that, I'm actually like craving that. So I could see why they would tie um, or like all be ranked equally. Mm, okay. Mm, interesting. So on that yeah. point, your household or like just growing up, what was, how did you understand love or what it looked like? That's for Korean. Okay. So in my household, I think love looked like provision, right? Love looking like ensuring that you had your necessities. Um, There was one person I can distinctly remember who was, who would actually like say the words like, I love you in our household. And um, that would be my mom. And I almost feel like that is to be expected somewhat. But she also, she was very um, much the type to let you know that she loves you. She's proud of you. She appreciates what you've been doing. Um, But for others, like even like my siblings growing up, we didn't necessarily, we weren't like the huggy, huggy, I love you type. Um, I think it was as of late, like now where we'll freely, somewhat freely, like hug each other um, without any hesitation. But growing up, we just looked like provision or I'm making sure that you're okay. And I think that's what I understood love to be in my household. Glenroy, what about you? Um, so for me, I, and I'm thinking about it now, I know the mother said it a lot and it mattered to me that she said it a lot. Um, and so 
which is why I kind of thought that I'd have gotten higher for words of affirmation because it does matter to me. But that might be also be tied to some other things in my relationship history about not hearing it or not hearing particular things and making assumptions and then realizing you shouldn't have made those assumptions. So, um, and therefore it mattered to me even more now to hear certain things before I move forward. But suffice to say, mother did say it a lot and it mattered. I think, you know, that I think about quality time, I did enjoy moments. I did feel best in moments with my family. Um, and my mother works six days a week. So, it, and then, of course, uh, Jamaican mother. So by Sunday, she had everything. She had cooked, she had cleaned, she had washed, she had, she had everything. So whatever time she got to just sit and relax mattered. And I think also dealing with an absentee father, um, what I craved a lot of times was just being able to spend time with him when he, when he was living in Jamaica, but we weren't living together. And he just a lot of times was not able to spend time. And that mattered more. So I think I can get why quality time scores so high for me because... Um, I do cherish it a lot. And I think also, I think about some of my earlier relationships, when you, when you can't, when my very first, or my first, yeah, my first relationship that, that, I mean, I had that relationship twice because um, we broke up and got back together. Um, our ability to spend a certain kind of time together was limited because, I mean, I didn't live alone. He didn't live alone. And so I remember my friends used to be really pissed. Xavier, especially, bless his soul, uh, used to be mad when we would have our friendships. And I take it as like a love vacation. So me, I'm a man in a, with, the, with the outer tone. Me, I'm a friend then, but my boyfriend is there with me. And there I am, cooped up. Me and him just lie down together and I have our moments. But then, I mean, we have to cuss him off and make him know, say, listen, this is the only time we have together. So you're alone, me alone. So, yeah, like, um, I can see why quality time matters to me. And I can see how just give, live, living in the context where you're not always able to have quality time because of living arrangements, growing up, or stuff like that, why it matters even more now. And then especially what the dating scene may look like and whether or not you're actually able to go out on a certain kind of date in a certain kind of way. Um, that also affects why quality time is important because it's like, like get it where you can. Right. What about you, Cornell? What did love look like in your household? Okay, I I'm gonna to respond to you in a second, but I just I did I did want to just flag really quickly something that Glenn Rice said. So this point about like you don't have many opportunities to have quality time with your partner, which again goes back to an earlier point we were making about how um, queer folks don't have the same kind of social. Um, opportunities or infrastructure that like um, hetero people do but now I'm also thinking about how because I mean yeah I've also been in situations where you know I'm out with like couples and I'm like oh my god can y'all like not be doing the most right now but I think but now I'm thinking you know I can see how that would be different for queer folks who might might only have you know a few minutes otherwise to 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 be together and express your affection for each other so that's just something i'm thinking about um love in my household i let me see my okay so i grew up with my mother and my older sister and then my dad came in into the picture um more substantially or physically later on i guess my mother is 
I think she's a like a words of affirmation kind of person. Um, and I don't know. I don't know. I think, yeah, I think I was into, I was like a tactile child. I don't know. It was weird. I remember when I was, and I don't know if this is a kid thing, but when I was really long, young, my sister and I used to share beds and I would always like instinctively like try to cuddle her and like she wasn't having it. Um, but overall, okay. So yeah, I'm a physical contact person, but that wasn't something that I was afforded many opportunities um, to like receive, I guess, in in my household. My family wasn't generally like tactile uh, really per se. Um, I was saying offline even that I struggle to think of a moment where my father said, I love you out loud. Um, he isn't a very physical person either in terms of affection. I would imagine he's more of a quality time person. So I do have this vague memory of him uh, taking me to a cricket match. I don't watch cricket, not particularly interested in it, but he was like, you know, he's going to go take me to a cricket game. And that was like, okay, dope, cool. I mean, I think one of the, the things I've been struggling with or trying to learn more about is how to attend to the love languages of uh, my parents more. So I think my mother is a words of affirmation person, but in terms of how she communicates love, she's an acts of service person. And before I thought of a lot of the things that she did as, you know, traditional gender roles or whatever, but I think that is how she says, here, I care about you. So for example, if she's coming to Canada, she'll be like, Oh, like, do you want anything? Can I cook anything? Do you want, like, you know, fish or ackee and sawfish or whatever? Or, you know, doing, and I'm like, oh my God, stop. Like, don't, like, don't worry about it. But she wants to go out of her way to to do that work, um, which perhaps is how she's trying to say, you know, um, I love you to her son or whatever. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's weird. It's weird. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love it how you conclude every statement with "it's weird." It's weird. I mean, it is. It is weird. It's. I don't know because I mean, I'm. I'm just trying to. I'm, I've been thinking a lot lately about. Okay, well, this is like TMI or whatever, I guess. But um, I've been trying to figure out if, like, lack of physical contact as, like, how lack of physical contact as a child is. Um, affecting me now as an adult. Um, so, I mean, scientists or people who write about things have talked about this idea of skin hunger. Um, and I find physical contact comforting. And I was making a joke with a friend of mine maybe a, f- a few months ago, and I was like, oh, well, I'm, I guess this is going into other things or whatever, but I was like, oh, you know, now I'm scheduling massages or whatever because it's the only way that I can have someone touch me, which sounds really sad. But now I'm just like thinking, I don't know, some people need physical contact as like part of their attempt to cultivate wellness, I guess. I don't know. So I guess the follow-up question for me then is in terms of your relationships, um, your romantic relationships, um, what has that looked like? So I know the subtext is 
how do black boys show love? And I guess how my question is how have black boys shown you love? Lord. <laughs> um I don't know. So my this is hard. So my my ex, former partner, um, he said once that I, and I mean, th- th- this isn't the case for like all of, you know, the few exes that I've had, um, but he complained. Okay. So, okay. Let me give you a bit of a, a context as well. So I was in a long distance relationship for a few months and, you know, I went to, to visit this person and um, he was complaining that I wanted to cuddle too much. And I remember being very offended and hurt by it because I was like, I, we don't get to spend much time with each other. And now you're making me feel bad for wanting to be close to you. So that was very strange. Uh, in terms of generally with, I mean, and I, and I mean, I, I, I will say that I have had, uh, you know, some really great interactions with um, black men in terms of affection who are tactile in the ways that I want. But on the the flip side of that is I have also met a number of black men who, okay, so because physical touch is ranked so high for me, something like sex means a lot, right? And I've been in situations where the people that I'm with are just trying to, for lack of a better word, bust a nut. And so there is a, um, what's the word? A lack of sensuality? Yeah, well, yeah, but, oh, I can't I can't find the word I'm thinking of. But like, well, I mean, let me see. It, it, it ends up being like really jarring and disappointing for me in, in, in that sense, because what ends up happening, I end up feeling like a piece of meat or an object or like I'm not like an actual person in the, the situation. Um, it's interesting because I um, have met men from like other ethnicities or races or whatever who are affectionate in the ways that I want. And I mean, I don't want to do this thing where I'm making broad generalizations about like how black queer men convey love or affection. Um, but I've found at least in the kind of affection department, more compatibility with men who come from different backgrounds. So I've, I've had conversations with, with friends as well. So for example, if you're thinking about something, okay, South Asian men are like very affectionate, even straight guys, they are like walking, holding hands, hugging, handling and shoulders. And it's like, no one's phased by it. Um, I also find... I don't know, European men in my experience tend to be a bit more affectionate as well, which is great. And so I don't know what that says about um, culture, but I, I mean, I'm wondering if part of it too is... It's dictated um, masculinity. And- well, yeah, yeah. Because I do think there's something about like how most black men are led to, or, or coming to their masculinity that says like you aren't supposed to be in proximity to other men um, that ends up being, you know, messy for a number of reasons. But I mean, I've been talking for a long while. So the, the last thing I, I wanted to like put in there as well, in terms of the dating, I was saying to my therapist a few weeks ago that I've put myself in positions in the past where I don't want to, 
we're in an attempt to access some kinds of like physical. Okay, I just want to cuddle, but like oftentimes you have to like go through with like sex or whatever to access cuddling. And sometimes, even though I don't want to access have sex, I end up having sex just so I can have that opportunity, which is like really sad. Um, but I mean, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to access the kind of cuddling aspect or the physical contact or affection aspect without having to do do the rest of the mess. But anyway, that was like hello overshare. So why don't y'all tell me about your editing experience? I think Glenroy said he had a story. Whenever <laughs> <laughs> somebody have a story, but before I kind of talk about my own experience, um, I want to kind of think through some of what you said, because I think you're, you're actually making some very big points about how the dictates of masculinity within black culture. And oftentimes, I, I mean, I find that the levels of homophobia within the constructs of black masculinity comes in a, a post-colonial context of black men trying to show that they're more righteous than other men and they're and also more masculine than other men. And so they, uh, they give themselves less opportunities to be affectionate, to well, in a certain kind of way, to other black men. And so we keep each other at a distance and we don't, we don't always get physical in terms of hugging and holding and shouldering kind of thing. And which is why, I mean, I've always made the point that to the people that matter to me in my life that I care about, don't call me bro. Because I don't want to be called bro. Because I feel that bro is heavy laden and comes from a place of you not want. I think brotherhood in, in its construction, especially within a, in, a, in a black brotherhood context, is not as great as sisterhood. Because brotherhood is... For a lot of people, a way of saying, you're just my brother and nothing more. It's a way of talking about affection without acknowledging certain forms of sensuality or even or saying, you're my brother, so we're not gay. And I don't want that. Sisterhood is affectionate, it's supportive, it's loving, and it's kind, and it's sweet, and it doesn't concern itself with the fears that it might be interpreted as sexual. And I, so, I mean, I, I went off on a tangent, but I think the point that you're making is in other cultures where masculinity doesn't require that high level of performance and homophobic performance, then there are more opportunities for um, the kind of sensualities and um, touch that you're interested in. And I think, I, I think it's, it's, it's something worth exploring um, the limits that constructs of black masculinity place on our abilities, even as queer men, to engage each other in a deep um, kind of way. But that aside, <laughs> um, for me, Allah Jesus, let me talk about my experience with man. <laughs> well, I think the long, the long story short of it is that in all my relationships, and I mean, it's sad when it's not sad, but it's unfortunate that I'm about to say this. In all my, and I was saying this to some of my friends, in all of my relationships, the one that has worked out, that has met some of my, the things that matter to me the most, like those kinds of tick those boxes was my relationship with a white guy. Uh, I had a Polish mm. boy in the UK and he did, he showed up for me, which matters to me, like show up at a work event and support me at a work event. Um, he planned things. So I didn't always have to feel like I was doing the work in the relationship. And for me, this matters to me, especially the one, because I'm a boss in real life. So, I don't want to have to be a boss in my relationship and plan everything. But also because I'm the same one and I'm the out one, um, I deal with high levels of rejection within a Jamaican context. And so when I'm in a relationship, 
And this is why words of affirmation matter to me as well. I want to be given the assurance that it's, you want me around and you want to be with me. And therefore, you have to show me you want me by planning and doing things and showing me that I matter to you and spend and, and planning times for us to spend together. And I don't think I got that in the other relationships that I had um, for all sorts of reasons, because people were afraid of um, being seen, being outed for all the kind of issues that come with being queer and in a relationship in Jamaica, whether or not they're comfortable going out on dates kind of thing, or um, the context when they feel like they're safe enough, whether it is when they have a car or something like that. But yeah, those kinds of things did affect my relationships and whether I felt like what I wanted from the relationship was happening because I, I, trust me, I go all out. I would plan events. I would get you the gifts. I would do all of that just to kind of communicate how I feel about you. But I kind of want that in return and I oftentimes don't feel like I'm getting it. Um, and so, it was, I mean, it's just, it was very poignant to me that the, the first time I felt like most of the stuff were made. And of course, I'm in London, so it's a different context and people are able to be more publicly affectionate. So it, the experiences are not comparable. But still, yet and still, this guy showed up for me, you know, you know, in ways I wished and I really wished that the, the Jamaican men that I dated had showed up for me and, and, and supported me and um, made me feel loved. I mean, I think Jamaican men oftentimes have this habit of thinking you can have a relationship within a bedroom or you can have a relationship within a household and it can't go beyond that. And... I don't want that. I'm not going to be your boyfriend in a bedroom. And then outside, I'm not, me can't get proper acknowledgement. I want to be acknowledged and I want to be um, one up. You know, more of a man, one up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I worry now that I won't ever be able to get that. I worry now that the more visible I am, the more... I mean, I'm growing into a fine queen. <laughs> um, soon add wings to my closet and all of that shit. And I worry that as, as I do this kind of kind of activism, this personal, this political, and, and I'm out there that I'm decreasing my opportunities for relationships and decreasing my opportunities for even basic forms of, in, of sexual engagement because everybody's a, not everybody wants to be a, in an in a situation where they feel like, oh, if I'm seeing this person in any kind of way, then I'm outing myself. And yeah. So when the, when the topic is that how black boys show love, um, for me, it's like, and especially in recent times, I don't feel like they've been showing me love. Mm. It's sad because they're, they're, they're who I want to show me love and affection and support. And I don't know that I'm getting it. And and I'm not saying there are people out there who are who are attracted to me and stuff like that. I mean, they're probably just not attracted to them and it is what it is. Um, but yeah, I haven't had, I, I have not yet had the kind of experience I had with my, my Caucasian boyfriend that I've, um, with a black man. And I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen. And I'm not waiting for him to do what the white guy did. No, I'm mm-hmm. waiting for him to show up for me in the kinds of ways that he can. Yeah. Okay. So that's, I am, well, okay. So thank you for, for sharing that because I think it is sometimes difficult to say out loud that like you've been able to access a certain kind of intimacy intimacy with a white man that you haven't been able to access with 
a black man. And I mean, that's, that's sad and it's, it's, it's difficult. And, and I mean, I, I don't think we, we probably don't have time to, to go through everything that that's going on there, but that is also um, something that I have seen um, that I have experienced in, in, in some, to some degree perhaps. And I mean, I, I think it goes back. So yes, there's a point about like social sexual development. There's a point about like expectations of, um, black masculinity. Um, there are other things having to do with race as well. But I mean, I have met several people who have found it difficult, like several women who have found it difficult to date other um, black men because finding um, that level of like deep intimacy seems to be harder than it should be or that it needs to be. The other thing I didn't want to ask you though, so you were saying about, you're not sure if you'll be able to find that because of how visible you are. Like why, why is that the case? Like why does your visibility or your, your public persona preclude you from that kind of love? Well, I'm thinking about it in my Jamaican context. And I mean, I, I don't have any plans on migrating um, anytime soon. So I'm thinking about how many people are comfortable with my kind of outness um, and many are not. And those that are, they are not necessarily, I'm not who they're checking for. And so in my mind, it's dealing with or working through. And I mean, I do have my own insecurities that tie to all sorts of other issues. But um, I, I mean, I do, and I have heard, you know, like you meet me and then, oh, wait, oh, it's you. It's that JFly guy. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, I'm don't, I don't think I can date someone that out, you know, that kind of a. Uh, uh, perspective. So having experienced all of that, um, I don't know the extent to which the kind of relationship I want is possible with me being me. Because you have to find somebody who is comfortable with that level of openness. You have to be with somebody who knows that there's a risk that when you're with me and somebody sees the two of us out, they're going to make the assumption that we're, we're in a relationship together and you're going to have to be able to deal with that and deal with whatever atten negative attention you think comes with that. And so that's what I'm talking about and that everybody is prepared to deal with that. However, um, um, I guess I kind of want to pull Karim into this kind of conversation because I don't want it to, to come off that, you know, and I know that's not, what we are doing here, you or myself, um, you, Cornell, or myself, um, that, you know, black relationship, black gay relationships can't work because I actually despise the notion that uh, the absence of black gay love in media, outside of Noah and Wade, we don't have anybody. Mm. For two black gay men loving each other, we hardly have anybody outside of Noah and Wade and that was a show that, and that's from Noah's arc, and that's a show that ran for two seasons and ended back in 2006 with a movie in 2008. And every time they, there's a black person in, uh, a black gay person in a, in a major movie, they end up in an interracial relationship. And while interracial, interracial relationships are fine and you find love anywhere, I think there is an attempt to subliminally, subliminally send the message that for black gay men to find love, they have to look outside of their race. And I don't want it to be felt that we're adding to that narrative. Um, mm. So, go to Avar man, a nice, nice black man. You want to come to that? Me? I mean, I talk about 
<laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> so I've been listening to you guys kind of talk and a lot of things kind of stuck out to me. And I wanted to, I guess, address those in the form of comments slash questions that we could perhaps consider later before I go into my experience. But there is this one quote that I, um, that I encountered a few years ago. I think it was by either Darnell Moore or Joseph Beam. And it says something to the effect of um, the act of a black man loving a black man is revolutionary. Um, and there's a lot to like unpack underneath that. And spoke about like society's perception of the black man and, you know, how they always portray him as unlovable and so on and so forth. So when I heard that, that was kind of also like one of my, um, like one of my quests, like to love a black man where he's, where he is as he is, um, but not necessarily like settling for what I don't deserve. But there's some things that you guys said before I go further with that. There's some things that you guys said, right? Um, and it's funny to hear Glenroy talk about the idea of um, like the fear almost of not being able to find that kind of true love from a black man um, because of your like your heights of outness or activism and so on. And I was sharing with Cornell the other day and another friend of mine, Tafari, I shared with them that. I don't think that I would be in a relationship now if if I wasn't married because of the same thing, right? I when I was on the yellow pages, the apps, right, the the grinders, the Adam for Adams, all of them, I would the the, the no facts, no femmes, no facts, no femmes. I'm not the slimmest person and I'm definitely not the most masculine. I'm very femme. So it was like facing that rejection. So even outside of the Jamaican context in a black, because I live in a largely black community, that's still the narrative, right? No facts, no femmes. And we could tackle that when we talk about body images and body positivity in a later episode. But I, I'm, I'm with you right there when I said, if I wasn't with my husband, I don't think I would be in a relationship right now because of the rejection of like femme um, um, or feminine presenting men. And then also, I just wanted to also point out the idea of for me, I just learned what love languages were, like I maybe two, three years ago. So it was new to me. And I think having learned that, it allowed me to think differently about how people show and receive love and also assess my past experiences or my past relationships differently. Um, and I was wondering if that was the same for you guys. And to kind of, I guess, give an idea of where I'm going with this. So I'm thinking here, as Cornell was talking about like his previous um boyfriends or lovers or what are partners i'm thinking about how i accused my um exes of not being able to love me the way i wanted to be loved um but not also understanding that people have different ways like love looks different for different people so whereas i was expecting perhaps you're expecting me to plan a date and you just wanted to love on me through quality time or physical touch or whatever like I guess it's different. Um, and I never realized that until like having this conversation. Now, well, previously, we're having this conversation now. And then another thing was thinking about how um, can love languages be problematic in the sense that I was listening to Glenroy's story and he was saying that, you know, like waiting for them to, well, not waiting, but expecting them to plan something and then kind of putting myself in that shoe of how I feel like I've 
even my husband, I've tested or put forward like little tests just to make sure that, so for example, in my quest for the affirmation or the words of affirmation, I'll, people might say like fish for compliments, right? Like, oh, what do you think of this outfit? Um, like those constant tests that we put our partners through so that we get the love in the language that we'd like to receive it or in the way that we'd like to receive it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I do. I get what you're saying. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, in my mind, I wasn't testing. And mm-hmm. I know that's sort of what you're saying I was doing. Yeah. Um, I guess in my mind, it had gotten to a point where I needed to know that I wasn't the only one invested. Based just based on past experiences. And I keep feeling like I'm the one that's leading in terms of taking relationships seriously or putting out a certain kind of effort. And it was just refreshing for once to not have to be that person. And it's not that I, I want to be led or taken charge of in a relationship. Hell to the fuck no. Me a bad girl. I mean, no man. Also, me have issues with man telling me what to do. So that clearly can't work. Right. But I really just want to feel like say, and I mean one, I stress out myself and I try to get things done. I will plan. I will do, I, I will do shit. I just mm-hmm. need some of that back. And that's, right. that's what kind of always got me. Right. You know, they say, so yeah, I was just, you know, thinking about like my own personal development and how like I've definitely seen times in the past where I would, um, I don't know, just do something to elicit or solicit a reaction or some type of response. And I realized that for the times that I can remember, they actually align with like what this test says about how I um, receive love or expect love to be shown to me. Um, so I just wanted to kind of like point that out to say, you know, sometimes these love language or the knowledge of your love language can be problematic in certain situations. Um, yeah, but I have, but please tell us. Yes, ma'am. I mean, I don't know if there's a secret, but what, what have you learned or what have you noticed that sustains your relationship that makes it, you know, Go keep going the way it, keep, it keeps on going. And what so is the holes? <laughs> I think the um, when I encountered love languages, I think it um, not that my marriage was in trouble. I think it saved my marriage in a way that I didn't realize. Because when I think about like my husband and the way he shows love, it's through physical touch, it's through acts of service. Um, he buys me like these random gifts just because like if I come in and complain about my back hurting, like I'll get a shipment from Amazon Prime and it might be a back brace or something. So um, that was the way he showed love. And I say it saved my marriage because um, I remember, and some of my friends can attest to this, he would buy me these things and I used to discourage it, right? I used to be like, stop spending my money, stop buying this, like stop buying this. like, And I didn't realize that that was just his way of communicating that, you know, he's into me and he loves me and he appreciates me and he's listening to me, most importantly, or um, he's in tune with what I'm saying or the things that I'm saying. Now, mind you, he's not the best gift giver, but it was just his way of kind of showing that. And I had to understand that because I realized that me telling him not to buy me the gift or to discouraging 
him from buying the gift and then complaining later that you don't love me, you don't ever get me anything and stuff like that. Because it actually happened. I remember something. I was like, you don't even buy me anything anymore. He's like, well, you told me not to. So I'm like, <laughs> and they like, how do I keep buying somebody something who every time I purchase something, your concern is how much was it? Why did you get me this? Send it back, like stuff like that. Like, why would I keep buying it? And then I started complaining about it. And I was like, oh, wait, but that's your love language. Like, that's how you show me that you're into me. Got you. So after learning that, I've kind of been more in tune with um, the ways he says I love you and the ways I communicate that back. So if I was supposed to guess, he's never done the test, but if I was supposed to guess what his top three love languages were, it would be physical touch, which is which does something for the ego, I might add, because the fact that your husband is like, all over you sometimes. I mean, sometimes it acts, you know, wants him to touch you, but other times you're just like, yeah, <laughs> your body's still good, though. Yeah. <laughs> you're still like, <lighting, laughs> <huh? laughs> um, Definitely acts of service. And I'm always in awe of how he manages to, like, even, like, after a long day of work and I'm, like, I've been at home. Like, for example, I've been at home since maybe, like, 4 or 5 o'clock. It is now 9.30. And if I'm laying here and he comes home at like midnight and I'm just like, I'm starving. Best believe he is going to the kitchen. Mind you, he just got off a long day at work and he's going to get me something and it'll come in the bedroom on a tray. Um, and it's out of something that he brought home. So like these different acts of service, no matter how tired he is, no matter what state he's in, that's kind of how he um, shows his love. And of course, gift. The hard part for me was trying to learn how he receives love. And because he's not a man of many words, it was hard. Like, for me, I'd be like, you're not even telling me something pretty. You don't have a compliment my, my outfit. Oh, this look, you're not going to tell me look nice. You know, so the jeans sit on palm. You're not even saying nothing. You're just, they're not saying nothing, sir. For me, like, he's not that vocal. So for me, the challenge was learning, okay, well, how does this man receive love? And I, just by, like, his comments... Uh, or just kind of what he responds to, I realized that he receives love through words of affirmation, um, through quality time, definitely, and through physical touch. Like he, I think there was one point when he said something to the effect of um, him always initiating sex. And for me, again, in the love language, right, I would not initiate sex. I would wait for him to initiate sex because for me, that's just like, that's, and act up. That's the affirmation I need to know that, okay, you still find me attractive. You're still turned on by me. You still want me and stuff like that. And then I had to realize that the same way I kind of crave that, he wants to be, he wants to feel wanted as well. He wants to feel desired and, and attractive. So I've had to learn that, um, learn how to initiate sex and then also learn that in the times that he is not interested or him and I are not interested, it's not that we're not attracted to each other. We're just tired or we're just not in a mood. Um, so those are kind of like the give and takes that I have to like learn. Um, and then I learned that for him, I give him love through like acts of service and I buy a lot of gifts. Like I love buying clothes, especially um, and he'll, he'll attest to that. I buy a lot of clothes for him because sim- and it's part of it is selfish because my man have to look good side of me. Um, <laughs> may I act well and him have to look good. Right, right, right. Like, 
I mean, I have, I'm <laughs> I teasing him and say, um, you're not married to a regular bitch. Like, this is, like, you have to realize that you had to come correct or not at all. So I definitely buy him a lot of clothes. But the challenge was learning each other's love language, like learning how to love each other and not, and then also learning that not because the love doesn't come, like, package the way we've um, romanticized or fetishized love or idealized love doesn't mean that it's not love. Um, and that doesn't say you have to settle for that. If it's not for you, then it's not for you. But also being open to being loved in other forms. Mm, that was beautiful. Absolutely. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just, okay, yes. That was, that was beautiful. We are running a little bit short on time at the moment, but I wanted to ask two questions and then we can do a bit of a, a wrap up. Um, so based on the examples that we've discussed, it still seems like um, verbal affirmations or verbal declarations of like, I love you aren't very common. And do you think it is a sign of a different kind of literacy or are Jamaican people just averse to the idea of saying, Hey, I love you. I care about you. Or like, like, what do what do you think that is? Um, I don't know that they're averse to saying it. Um, but I think what it is is that we're not always a declaratory people. We're a performative people, and because we are a performative people, we like to show things to our actions more so than our words. Um, mm. but I think that perhaps for queer people. It may matter a little bit more. I mean, and maybe I'm, I, I, maybe I can limit it that further. But I think perhaps those declaratory words matter to us more, given just the context that we um, exist in, and that the fact that we may have dealt with rejection in different ways, and so being affirmed matters more. Hmm. Okay. All right. So I guess to kind of. Uh, wrap up then. I was wondering, can you think of, I mean, based on what would be your top, you know, your first or your 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 top two, I don't know, options, what would be a moment that like exemplifies, uh, you know, the best of what someone showcasing love for you is like, I guess. Yeah. That matches to that specific category anyway. Oh, my career starts first, but I have one idea. <laughs> Run that by me again, Cornell. Okay, so what was your, like, top la- love language? What was your your top placement? Okay. Words of affirmation. So what was okay. Words of affirmation. Okay. And can you think of, like, do you have a memory of someone um, performing that or showcasing that, like, through words of affirmation, like it could be your partner, a relative, a friend, I don't know. Um, but what was one of those moments where you're like, damn, this person actually likes me or cares for me or whatever? Okay, so, um, and I always think of this in, in the context of my relationship. So my um, my current relationship with my husband, he does these things where out of the random um and it's like the least expected so for me i call it i I call it weird i don't know because i'm still you know we're still learning to receive that level of love even though we return it so easily um he'll do these things where these 
not necessarily long texts, but there's these texts where he'll send me um, how much he loves me, how much he appreciates me, and kind of like visions of our future. Like he can't wait to be able to do this or to do that or for us to start doing this and doing that. And um, that has been kind of like one of the... Um, and they always come at the times when I really don't even know I needed it, but they've always been like so sweet and endearing. And um, that I think for me has been like the biggest show of words of affirmation um, that I've seen from like any particular relationship. Or um, as of recently, and we'll probably talk about this in a later episode, of recently my dad has become so much more um, affectionate or so much more like um so much more affectionate towards me where he'll just call me or send me a random voice note via whatsapp to say that he loves me and he's proud of what i've been able to do so far and he can't wait to see what i'll accomplish in the future and for that like i've always become so comfortable with my dad not being the type to say his to speak his feelings or to say anything and so for me that was kind of like giving me affirmation again in a way that i never knew i needed it Mm. That's beautiful. I'm so glad there's progress being made with your relationship with your dad. Oh, girl, you have no idea. I can't wait to unpack that. I cannot wait. Oh, well, we're having an episode on that shortly. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, Glenroy, what do you got for us? I mean, so the more I look back at quality time being my highest, even though the rest were close, the more I realized it was true, and um, I think. If I think about my most recent relationship, it was definitely when we went to the um, this theme park together. Um, I just really just had a, a whole day, um, even though I wasn't. I wasn't. I think it mattered more to him originally than me. But when I think about just having that time and going on roller coasters together and standing in those long lines and talking and running through the the, the haunted house, it was fun and it was great. But also, I think about. Anytime me and my friends just get together for a good old kiki where we just sit and talk about shit or playing video games with, with my chosen family and beating their asses in Mortal Kombat because I'm a <laughs> <laughs> Or critically, now that I've scheduled time with my mother and spending actively spending more time with my mom, it really, it, it shows that really the quiz was right. Quality time is the most important to me and just... Being able, I, I remember, the, I think the one that stands out most with my mom is just um, when me and her, we just went to brunch together um, one Sunday and we just talked, talked like we hadn't in years. And just told, and she was just, I felt like I was being with my mom again because we were really close when when I was growing up. And then, like I, I think I mentioned before, once she realized my queerness, it, um, it became a strain, but now we're there again. And when me and her just sat and talked like we used to, it really, I have not felt that great in in in, in years, and so yeah, the, the like the quiz did right overall. <laughs> and I have to mention my mom too because I know she's gonna listen to this episode and come to me and say, "So, me not affirm ya, me not me not me not make her feel good." <laughs> so I must mention that my mom has been that consistent source of affirmation over and over and over. And I was saving that because I wanted to, when we talk about the whole body image episode, that's where her words of affirmation were like most um, um, poignant or um, very important to me. So 
I Sylvia, please nanam me. <laughs> you were you were always there. Dope, dope. Okay. All right. All right. So I think No well on there. Good sis. I have to answer the question. What do you mean? Oh. <laughs> Why? Right. Which is like, all right. No, answer the question. A group therapy girl. Yeah, offer answer. Sure. Uh, so what? What were my first top two? Uh, physical touch and words affirmation. I mean, I. I'm okay. I already know I'm gonna regret all the things I've said, but I have a few memories of. Okay, there was this this one particular person who um like likes to cuddle in the way that I like. And I mean I'm the kind of like cuddler that I'm like I don't want any kind of ear pockets, right? Um and I so we just be <laughs> we just be lying in bed and um you know, we'd be cuddling or like having some kind of physical contact with each other. And then he'd be like, he would stare. And I was like, like, what are you, what are you sticking at? And he's like, you're like so beautiful. And I was just like, like, stop. And so I think there's something really nice about being in a vulnerable space like that, where someone's just like looking at you and just like, you are an amazing human being um, and looking at you like you're a gift to the world or something. And I, I had this other memory of this one guy who, so we were like, I don't know, whatever. We were being together, Lord. And he turned the lights on because he's like, I want to see you. And I was like, I can't stop. Um, but I mean, no, I mean, so yeah, I guess affirmation like that to say that someone sees you and values you in that way is, um, is like a really great thing, um, that, and I feel like we should have more of those experiences where people affirm us like that. So I don't know. I'm so sure. We are going to move like quickly along. (laughs) Thank you for listening. (laughs) Um, as per usual, we, you can find us at Fishy Podcast on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you have any feedback, please do reach out to us at fishdpodcast at gmail.com. And in the meantime, Glenroy, do you want to go say your line? Oh. <laughs> Before I do, um, I think a lot was said, and I think we can all look into how we show love to each other, how we receive love, pay attention to the people in our lives, cherish the relationships that we have with each other, support each other. And as usual, I like to say, stay sophisticated. Bye. Bye.